Hello, welcome to another episode of Flying High with Flutter. I'm your host, Alan Waima. Today I'm talking with, I forgot to ask you how to say your name, but I'm going to guess on this one. Is it Leah Jarrett? Is that right? Leah, but close. <laughs> it looks like Leah, but Leah. I know. I get that a lot. Some people call me Princess Leah, so that's okay too. I don't know. You might like that name. I think a lot of girls like to be called Princess. Uh, no no offense, but actually that's my dog's name is, is Princess. <laughs> Princess Elsa, actually. Oh, cute. From Frozen. <laughs> yeah. The Well, when I saw her, I don't know. I just said, oh, that's my princess. And then my wife said, oh, like Princess Elsa. I think that the Let It Go or Let It Snow or whatever, that movie was just out at that time. Um, Yeah. So it's funny. No, I remember that because today the vet called me to confirm about a vet shot for the dog. And they're like, uh, for Princess Elsa? <laughs> it sounds a bit weird when I say that. But that's her official name. So I guess that's correct. Oh. Uh, anyways, back to topic. Uh, you're you're working on uh, I, uh, Flutter for iOS and also uh, design, but I forgot how you pronounce the design part exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I focus on Flutter for iOS mostly, but I also think a lot about how Flutter can better integrate with the design ecosystem. So different tools that are used by designers or design agencies. So then you must be uh, talked a little bit to uh, Widget Book. I'm guessing they had some reach out um, with Flutter Forward, right? Yes, yes. I was the one who uh, got Widget Book in the Flutter Forward keynote. So I talked to to Lucas over at Widget Book all the time. Okay, Lucas, yeah. But Jans is the one who doesn't really talk if you talk with him. <laughs> you would be doing the talking. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty cool um, thing that they're working on. Um, so I'm I'm excited to see all that. And that one integrates with Figma. And I feel like everything else has been dropped. It seems like Figma is the only tool for prototyping or designing apps these days. Is there any other design tools you're focusing on? Is it maybe Adobe InDesign or not InDesign? What's the Adobe one I forgot now? Adobe XD. Yeah, XD. That's the one. Uh, we actually do have this like plugin that the team at G Skinner had built to help generate some code from your Adobe designs. Um, I don't know how, how often people are using it, but a lot of the startups I talk to are thinking more about integrating with Figma. Yeah. And there is a, a company, we, we had them on the podcast before that actually integrates with Figma directly. So you'd build your design in Figma and then you can export that directly to Flutter and get a Flutter app. Have you seen that? Uh, what's the company called? Oh, now you're putting me on the spot. <laughs> I thought we were gonna leave it at that part. I didn't know you were gonna call me on it, but um, uh, oh wow, I forgot the name now. That his face is in my head, but I can't remember the the name of it. All good. Yeah, I, there are a couple of people that are are kind of working on that problem, and I've talked to a few of them. So perhaps, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's. I think that space is really interesting because if you've worked with designers, then you know there's a lot of back and forth. Usually, you know, the designers create these beautiful mock-ups and they hand them to the developers and then the developers might go to Flutter and look at some pre-built widgets, maybe Immaterial or Cupertino, and try to build something close to the app, but it doesn't totally meet the designer's expectations. And then there's a lot of like back and forth tweaking. So I think that's a really interesting problem space, and it's it's cool to see all these people trying to solve it. Okay, I have the name now. It's called Codelessly. Oh, I don't think I've talked to them, so I'll have to go look them up after this call. Yeah, I'll drop the the link for the the thing, and I'm also happy to make an introduction to the guy to get that process going. 
his is pretty cool. Um, I'm looking forward to trying his out. He said he would send me an invite, but that seems to be delayed in, you know, software. You always think you're going to be ready and then it gets delayed, right? Yeah. And, and code generation especially is really difficult to do well. <laughs> uh, I just kind of want to touch one more thing on, on the design part. Uh, I did a couple of workshops over here and I found designers are actually they're actually more excited to use Flutter than like typical programmers, if that makes any sense at all. Yeah, I I think there's something really rewarding if you're not super technical to like actually see your vision come to life in, in a real prototype. Um, and it's really cool because I think Flutter is somewhat uniquely positioned to help designers because it's pretty easy to get started. And, and especially with things like Dartpad and Zap.run and all these web-based IDEs, you could even build a pretty useful prototype without having to install anything on your computer. And I think that's often the barrier to getting started, right? You're running into like Ruby issues when you're installing CocoaPods, you like have all these crazy things going on in the terminal and it's really intimidating if you're not an engineer. Well, if you think about it too, um, it, I don't think it's that necessarily, at least my understanding. Uh, when I taught these workshops, I think what it was, was people, they start to understand the patterns of how it works. And then they, they say, oh, actually, I want this button to be this color or this radius. And they start to kind of put that together themselves. They, they use like deduction to figure it out. And uh, I found it really fascinating that these, mostly the, the girls who would get into design and they not much into computers. But I don't know why they decided to come. They were just interested. And they just went off on their own and they were making some really interesting designs without, like they weren't listening to me. I was, I stopped instructing them at least. And they were just going off on their own and they were happy with that. Yeah, it's it's really helpful, I think, to empower designers to be able to do those tweaks in real time, you know, like change the padding a little bit and, and change the margins. Um, one thing that really caught my attention recently was I've been working with the team at G Skinner on the Wondrous app, which is like this really beautiful Flutter reference app that they've created. And they were talking about how one of the developers created this widget that like wrapped around a bunch of these other settings that have to do with how things are displayed on the page and the speed of the animation and the size of the graphic. And, and then they just gave the designers access to this widget and they were able to just like tweak all the numbers and use hot reload to see it in real time. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, but I did kind of want to go over, I think you said you're spending most of your time on iOS. Is that, is that right? Yeah. And, uh, we were just talking before we started recording about like, basically the latest news I've seen is the impeller engine when it comes to iOS, besides of course, the FFI gen, we can get in, a little bit into that later, but the uh, impeller engine. Now, why is it that impeller is only working on iOS at the moment? I think that was just the platform that our engineering team chose to focus on first. We've seen a lot of people on GitHub or just generally in the community, customers using Flutter on iOS, talk about shader compilation jank. Um, and I think we also know that uh, Apple developers and Apple users can 
be really particular about you know the the quality of apps. So we thought it would be really valuable to to focus on iOS first. But I know the team is actively working on Android now. Yeah, uh, it's funny that you mentioned that. I just remember when I was working on iOS and I got rejected because my app was not iOS enough or something. They they used some weird term. And I was like, what is that? What does that even mean? My app works. It, it does what I needed to do. But I didn't meet their standard, which in, in, when they showed me the rule, it was completely arbitrary and opinionated. It's like, well, what the heck? So, yeah. I mean... I, I can kind of understand. I mean, they want to have exciting apps on their app store. I mean, you, users pay more money for an iOS, an iPhone on average compared to a lot of uh, Android phones in the market. So they want to get the best types of apps running, right? That's kind of what we're looking at. Yeah, exactly. Basically, we just heard from Flutter developers that I that performance on iOS was a bigger problem. So that's what we wanted to focus on and you know, keep everyone happy. Now, when you said that, is this the is this the jank issue everybody keeps talking about? Yeah, that that's the the main thing that Impeller is hoping to to solve is shader compilation jank. So when you see a, a bit of a stutter in your app, and sometimes people are able to solve this right now by you know doing shader warmups and and things like that, but Impeller is really targeting that problem. If you've watched the Flutter Forward keynote. We talked about how that's kind of the main issue that we're targeting with Impeller, but we've also seen pretty uh, significant performance impacts in other areas too. Like I showed an example of this really complex SVG clipping. So you have a ton of SVGs and you're clipping them to create this kaleidoscope animation. And on our current default renderer, which is called Skia, you could see the app like really stuttering a lot. And I think it was rendering at like, you know, seven frames per second or something. And then when we built the same app on Impeller, we could see it rendering at 60 frames per second. So it, it really does make a huge difference. Yeah, I remember that, that the app that you that was shown. That wasn't you on stage, right? That was somebody else. No, it was me. <laughs> it was you. Okay. It's hard for me to remember who it is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now it makes sense. So you're the one with the old iPhone. Is that your old personal iPhone? It's not my personal iPhone. A uh, funny story is I'm based out of New York and, um, you know, we wanted literally days before the event, we're like all getting ready to fly to Africa. And I was like, I wonder if this demo would work on like a really old iPhone. So we're scrambling around like, who has the oldest iPhone? And someone in California had an iPhone, I think it was iPhone 6 or 7, I can't remember now. But anyway, so someone from California brought it to Africa for me, <laughs> handed it to me like two days before the event, and we tested it. And we were like, great, it works. <laughs> now, what if it didn't work? Would you just choose a more modern one? I mean, we did most of the demo on a modern one, um, so probably. But I think that would also give us good things to go back and test on. That, that's the thing with Impeller. It's, it's been in preview for a bit now, but we're really hoping to get more feedback. So the more people that can test it on all different iPhones, you know, all different versions, the more we can feel confident in moving it out of this preview phase. Now, I have to ask, one of the hardest things to do in computer science is naming something. Where did the name Impeller come from? I honestly have no idea. I would have to go and ask the engineers that. 
Okay. I thought maybe you would know. Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, and and so does this mean that once Impeller kind of works on all platforms, does that mean that Skia is just going to be retired then? Um, well, Skia is used in other places besides Flutter, so it definitely won't be retired as far as I know outside of the Flutter world. But there are bits of Skia that are still being used in Impeller. Um, I'm not a graphics person. So don't ask me two technical questions <laughs> about graphics rendering. But as far as I know, they've uh, borrowed bits and pieces of Skia in Impeller for certain aspects. Okay. Yeah, that, that sounds pretty uh, interesting. I would like to, to know more about how this kind of stuff works. So if you know somebody, I would love to talk with them about this. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to connect you to some engineers on our team, but also um, one of the lead engineers, his name is Chin Mei. He did a, a pretty technical talk for Flutter Forward, a pre-recorded one on kind of the inner workings of Impeller, which is really interesting. Now, um, what else has been going on for, for iOS? I mean, uh, besides the FFI Gen and Impeller, is there anything else that's kind of been happening that maybe has not been getting a lot of attention? Yeah, there are a couple of things. Um, well, FFI Gen is something I'm personally really excited about. It has been getting a, a decent amount of attention since Flutter Forward. But for those who don't know, uh, one of the hard parts about using a cross-platform framework is that you know you you worry about changes to underlying platform APIs. Apple's always coming out with new APIs that do really cool stuff, and you want to integrate those into your iOS apps. So I think there's always a bit of a concern that if you're building your app in Flutter, how will you quickly adapt to those new APIs or platform changes? So FFI Gen is a tool that auto-generates bindings for um, C-based APIs, and this includes Objective-C and Swift. So it allows you to make these API calls to Apple's platform APIs directly from your Dart code, which is really great. So that can be used in a plugin or can be used directly in your Dart app code as well. So I'm really excited to, to see how that impacts Flutter developers. And we're continuing to make improvements on FFI Gen. Now, that's interesting um, because the part that that was difficult for me to kind of understand. So let me, I have an, I have an actual practical example, an app that I made for a client. Uh, we use uh, health on iOS and Google fit on Android to pull data. Those are really different and they act really different on each side. And I know because I had all the different problems that came up between the two and, um, Alone, let alone, uh, I noticed that in the code I was using, the plugin I was using, depending on which SDK you were using, you have different also APIs. So how can you handle this kind of problem where, say, some APIs get deprecated or even removed in between, and you have to support you know older platforms, but then the newer one, like I said, they don't have those anymore. They have a different style. How does this kind of stuff work? Let alone, you, you want to be able to have some type of consistent uh, way of working with Dart uh, so that you can just you know have a simple API and just abstract all this stuff. Yeah, and that's probably where plugins still come into play, right? So this solves the aspect of trying to write a bunch of native code to talk to those platform APIs. Like let's say right now 
you know, take your example with Google Fit and HealthKit on iOS. Um, you want to create a health plugin. You need to write all the native code to, to make all the API calls on each platform. And then you have a, you know, platform interface package that basically creates this nice dart wrapper so that in your app itself, like you said, you only have to worry about that one dart API. So if you're using FFI Gen and JNI Gen on the Android side, you can take a similar approach where you're still developing a health plugin, that's a federated plugin, only instead of writing all this native code, you're writing the code to make those API calls in Dart. But you would still likely have a platform interface package that sits on top of each one of those platform-specific packages so that you're making those APIs the same for when you're working directly in your Flutter app. Because right now, if I were to, to generate the bindings and make those API calls from Dart with FFI Gen or JNI Gen, the API calls will look similar to what you're calling on the native side, which means that if they're different on Android and iOS, they're still going to be different in Dart because we're basically just wrapping around those platform APIs. Um, so, so it definitely helps with adapting faster and not having to context switch between different languages, but it doesn't necessarily solve the problem of, hey, you're developing an app for both Android and iOS, and they have two different APIs, even if they're accomplishing the same thing. Okay, so you still have the problem where you, you yourself have to make the abstractions. Yeah, exactly. Okay, but you could still use Dart and that would directly talk with the C or the whatever, the native code. Yeah, which makes it a lot easier to, I think, do that abstraction. You're working in one language. You're mostly just doing things like, okay, now let's have a wrapper function that um, now makes this API call on Android and this one on iOS. Yeah, that, that was that was the thing that popped in my head. I was like, well, how does this work with, you know, different ways of their data work totally differently? Yeah. Okay. Because I think people just think that, oh, you know, uh, so simple. Just ask for, for this. It's like, well... No, because actually Google doesn't have something built in and let alone like iPad, which you may want to support on your app, doesn't have health. But then like, should we block people from installing the app on there? Because you can still look at your data with it. So we have like lots of questions and oh, now you're remembering and you're reminding me that like nearly all the testers that test our app use iPad, which doesn't have health. So we always got some problem because it broke. So... Yeah, you're bringing back uh, PTSD for me right now with all these <laughs> issues I had to solve. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, that's a hard problem to solve. It would be cool to eventually have some auto automated way to, to synchronize the APIs, but that would have to be some like cool AI stuff because you need to be figuring out, okay, this call is basically the same as this call and we'll just change this name to this. Now, is there plans to to kind of start to integrate FFI Gen and JNI Gen into Dart itself? Because that could be quite interesting to have, because I can imagine that we'd want to have be tighter and tighter to the metal necessarily, or even, yeah, even to Flutter itself. Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something we're thinking about. We don't have concrete plans right now. Both FFI Gen and JNI Gen are experimental and they both have a lot of features and, and issues that we still need to build. But we are starting to talk and think about long-term, you know, what is the best way to expose this tooling? Right now, they're both 
start packages. So you go, you create a configuration file, you open up the terminal, you say, you know, dart FF run FFI gen, uh, and then it will generate these bindings. Um, but you know, there, there might be an easier way to do this and there might be a way to kind of pull these into one cohesive tooling instead of have them to be totally separate for both iOS and Android. So no concrete plans yet, but it's definitely stuff that we're talking about. Well, it's good to hear. I, I just did another recording about an hour ago with somebody. We we're talking about how we wish Dart um, and Flutter would be less coupled because now they're really coupled, right? Every time there's a new big Flutter release, there's a new big Dart release. And that's a conscious decision. That's not a coincidence, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm curious, what benefit would having them less coupled be? Um, well, I think that there's there would be uh, more uses of Dart than just only with Flutter, right? So now it's like, well, what do we use Dart for? Well, only with Flutter. But that wasn't the original intention of Dart. And that's fine that things change, but I... I I think that Dart it could be used for much more things than just Flutter. And that's the issue I have. I'm not saying Dart shouldn't be used in Flutter, but I think that we should use it for more things, right? We should, because there's there's a huge push right now to get a backend written in Dart. Why? Because Flutter users want to be able to use the same language. But with the way that Dart is so coupled to Flutter, that may make people think, well, it doesn't have the ability. Well, no, it does. But the problem is that it may, doesn't look like that to some people. That's the, the issue I have. I mean, it's not a huge issue, but it's just like, you know, we can never, Dart can never be, in my opinion, Dart can never be its own thing once you couple it to Flutter. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying more like philosophically, like, you know, having Dart have its own life versus the technical aspects of like having, you know, releases synchronized and things like that. Exactly. Yeah, that's, but that's, and again, this is just my, my opinion and I'm just somebody on the outside voicing that um yeah that's just the way i see it because like that's kind of what happened with ruby on rails to a certain extent right it's like oh well ruby would be dead without rails well maybe true but i mean they'd still have their own release cycles and uh you know people also use ruby for other things like puppet and other kinds of tools but dart i mean angular kind of went down the angular dart one went went kind of it's not really being worked on anymore um, I also find it kind of interesting that I think Skia and all that were made for HTML and the web, but like that went down and then iOS and, you know, the mobile side went up and then now we went full circle back to, to, to web. Uh, yeah, you know, there's lots of stuff and, and there's people who are working on other packages too for this. So it's, yeah. And also SAS is written in Dart, which is interesting. I don't know if many people know that. So there's a lot of cool stuff that you can be that you can be doing with Dart, but I think now people may not know this and may not think about it. That's my concern only. Yeah, no, I hear you. I, I personally am really excited about all this stuff going on with the Dart backend work as well. Um, now, now you caught me, and I'm gonna forget the name of the company, but I remember just recently some folks were announcing uh, a new framework on top of Dart for for backend development. And it seemed like it was getting a lot of excitement from the community. So is that server pod? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. He's been on the podcast two times. That's awesome. Just got 1.0 release. Yep. That's so exciting. 
He used to work at Google. I thought maybe you would know him, know him no? Uh, I only joined the Flutter team here at Google, like, I don't know, nine months ago or so. I've been at Google for a couple of years, but Google's a big place. <laughs> understand, understand. But I mean, he was in the Flutter team for a while. I don't know when you joined the team. So yeah, it makes sense because he's, he's a he's an OG, I guess, old Googler uh, from a while back. Makes sense. Um, but it is cool to see other people in, investing in Dart for backend. And I think VGV has, has Dart Frog also, right? So cool stuff. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm looking forward to, to these things. So, but yeah, the, the, the Dart Frog one's a little bit limiting. Um, I'm hoping to see more. I think they're putting more effort into it. It just takes time and that's okay. Yeah, we have Shelf. Nobody ever talks about Shelf, which is interesting. <laughs> That shelf is the backbone of all of these frameworks, as far as I understand, right? I, to be honest, I don't know much about Dart backend besides what I hear from the community, um, but could be. All right, let's talk about what you do know. What what else is going on in, in besides the FFI gen and the the impeller? Um. So some other things that we've been working on on the iOS side. Um, one thing that I was excited about that came out in the 3.7 release was some iOS build validation. You know, anyone who has submitted an app to the app store knows that they're really annoying about having a bunch of these requirements. So we've added a bunch of checks to the Flutter build IPA command to, to make sure that you have, you know, like um, certain fields that are required filled in and that you've updated your app icon and, you know, you've updated the bundle identifier and all that stuff. So uh, I think in general, we're thinking a lot about how we can improve uh, the release process or how we can give more resources, like even like video tutorials or things like that to help people navigate releasing an app on the app store. I wish there was a way that we can somehow automate this creating an app with Flutter. That'd be really nice because doing it for iOS, there's so many like things you have to remember. You got to create the namespace, you got to create a certificate, you got to upload a certificate. Uh, if you open up Xcode, it can do most of the work for you, but I think you still need to log into the developer side and do some some of the stuff by hand, no? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's like a couple of different ways you can go about it. What What I've done in the past is opened up Xcode, you, you need to make sure that you're signed in in Xcode and that you have like automated certificate provisioning and all that stuff. And then once you have the IPA, you can kind of just like drag and drop it into App Store Connect. But then still you have a lot of stuff to fill out on the App Store Connect side. Uh, there's definitely a decent amount of manual work involved. What would also be really nice is I think there's there's some plugins and stuff, but I would like to see some Flutter, if possible. I know there's a, it's there's a lot, so many things on the plate, but it would be really nice is a simple command you can do to create all those stupid screenshots because that that takes like forever, you know. And yeah, I see you shaking your head. It's like nobody enjoys that because it's like what I have to do this device and that device and this device and that device and why those and why iPad and why oh my god, horrible. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I'm sure that there are tools that exist. I haven't used them, but now I want to go check them out because that does sound like a really good idea. <laughs> there is, yeah, there is some stuff. It'd be nice if, if you could just say like, I don't know. I don't even know what you'd say. Maybe part of the Flutter build would output a folder of screenshots. That'd be kind of nice. Yeah. I understand there's a lot of effort to do all that stuff, but still, it's that's like one of the worst things to do, really. Um but at least you have a simulator you can load up all the time to do all that stuff. 
and just yeah. find S and get it all going. But still, no, it's not fun. Gotcha. Um, I'm trying to think what other things were in the most recent release. Um, we've been doing a, a, some work on Cupertino as well. I know there were some new Cupertino widgets that were added, and we've been trying to kind of go through and, and fix outstanding issues with Cupertino, as well as think about you know tooling to make it easier to compare how Cupertino widgets look um, against, you know, like the, the Swift UI counterparts and make it easier for not only us to contribute fixes, but also other people to find and contribute fixes on their own. Since, you know, the, the framework itself is a great place for contributors to get started. You're writing dark code, you're creating flutter widgets. It's not like going into the engine or something where you're digging deep into, you know, C code. So, we're thinking a lot about that. And we also are thinking about how to kind of modernize Flutter in terms of Apple's developer toolings. So a lot of our first party plugins were written in Objective-C. We've migrated some of those to Swift. And we've also tried to add some resources to help people in the community help us migrate other first party plugins or even their own plugins over to Swift. Yeah, I, you know what? Now that you brought Cupertino, I feel like I don't know. Is that really required anymore? I mean, almost every app I think uses Material. I'm aware that I believe the main reason for Cupertino is kind of to have iOS specific apps written in Flutter for iOS. And I think that there's also a lot of apps that will mix and match them. So there are some widgets that will automatically adapt between material in Cupertino if you use the dot adaptive constructor, but also you can kind of uh, bifurcate your code a little bit to use like Cupertino on iOS in one place and material in another. Um, one thing we're working on too is, is kind of better documentation and resources to help people do exactly that, figure out when it's important to use Cupertino and when it's important to use material. And this really goes back to some of the, the feedback we get from developers or users or consultancies that sometimes say that Flutter iOS apps just feel like a little bit off. Maybe some page transition is missing or some like gesture animation feels a little off. And a lot of those are, are baked directly into our Cupertino widgets. So we're trying to either make sure that we have coverage for those and that they look and feel correct, or that developers know when they should be using certain Cupertino widgets on iOS to make sure that their app feels natural. I have to ask, I mean, working at Google who owns Android, did you feel a bit weird kind of working with the enemy almost? You don't kind of feel like that? Sometimes I do. Um, you know, I, I sometimes want to be careful about like how enthusiastic I am about some Apple things, you know, not don't seem too excited. Um, but I think our team is kind of uniquely positioned to help Google as well. If Flutter appeals to iOS developer, that's, that's one more iOS developer who's now involved in the Google developer ecosystem because Flutter is part of that ecosystem. Yeah, true. And I, and I also think that I, or Apple has a good incentive to get more apps onto the app store, right? Because in general, even if they get, even if they don't even accept the app, they still get 99 bucks 
$99 here times 100 people. That's a decent amount of money. Uh, but they're going to be much more than just a thousand people. There's, I don't know how many people are using Flutter, but there's, I think there's a huge amount of apps on the app store. I don't remember how much was the last count. Um, for Flutter apps. Yeah. For Flutter apps, even on, on iOS store, because I don't know, does that count include, does that count include both stores or like, I don't remember how the, how the app counting works. Yeah. It's a, it's an approximation of both stores. So if you have one Flutter app deployed to both Android and iOS, that wouldn't be double counted in that count. But, you know, we don't work for Apple, so we have no way of getting exact numbers from Apple. So we can only estimate. Yeah. So I would say it's in, it's in their, it's in their kind of interest at times, right? So is there like a, a line of communication between the Flutter team and the iOS team at Apple about some things or no? Uh, not on the iOS team per se, but Google more generally has communication channels with Apple. So there are times where we will reach out to them. Now, uh, I'm I'm curious because I've ran into this one at times. Do you also run into this issue where it's like, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out arbitrary numbers, right? So like iOS 10.0.1 works, 10.0.2 doesn't work, but 10.0.3 works again where you had a weird bug like that. Is this a normal thing that you run into? I, I mean, definitely. We, I, I would say our team, you know, the, the Flutter for iOS team, our toughest issues to solve are just making sure that we're solving every single thing that Apple puts out, right? So each new version of iOS, each new version of Xcode, each new, you know, iPhone device, each new Mac device, each new iPad device. So we always like brace ourselves for WWDC every year. <laughs> but you can see just by looking, um, you know, in the Flutter issues that we try to stay on top of those things when people are saying, okay, this new version of iOS 16 came out and this feature that was working is now not working. We try to dig into those. Um, but yeah, sometimes it's also things that are happening on Apple's side and then sometimes they fix it in the next release, like you said. Sometimes. Sometimes they break it or break it worse in the next release. And that that's the most infuriating part. Yeah. The nice part I've had is that uh, it's funny that actually iOS uh, UI has been the most consistent for me uh, in terms of, of everything, right? So uh, I, one of my clients there, I don't, I'm not doing their Flutter app. I'm not doing their app for them. I did their their backend development. Uh, they did a native app using Swift UI, and the CEO was like, "Man, I wish we would have went with Flutter because it's just been a disaster using Swift UI." Because they from the very beginning of Swift UI, they started using it, and apparently, it's been a huge problem for them. And for me, my experience is that using Apple specific stuff, like I said, I had this weird bug where uh, with um, I forgot what that's called, uh, the app linking, taking you to specific parts of the app that was busted from different iOS versions, but the UI always worked fine. And they've had issues on both sides because obviously they're using the whole iOS tool chain. So that's the one thing that's been nice. But I have had weird issues with Flutter and Android before where like one plugin in Android broke everything about the app. And the funny thing is that plugin was for reporting bugs. <laughs> so it was a little bit ironic. <laughs> Irony. <laughs> yeah, very ironic. So I had to like dig in one by one, start taking off these plugins, and that, that was the one. So uh, yeah, I mean, it's been interesting time. So 
I've, I'm pretty happy with using Flutter and iOS. I think I talked to quite a few other people and they're like, no, yeah, we, if we need to make an iOS specific app, we would just use Flutter anyways, because it's just such a, a fun thing to use compared to the native toolkit. Oh, well, you're just making my day now. Like the, <laughs> we need to get that quote out into the open some more. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's said, I think it's in the first episode that we aired is uh, we talk about this. It's really been a, a fun uh, adventure. Because even though it's drag and drop UI, like it's still difficult to make these customized interfaces. At least for me, as somebody who's not into not into a totally iOS developer, but Flutter is like well, I've I've done some React before, so I know kind of how to make components and widgets, and it's about the same. So it's super easy to use, and I've been pretty happy with it. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, also don't have a ton of Swift UI experience, but I, I've played with it a decent amount. And I honestly think that both Swift UI and Flutter are, are great frameworks. And I found them both really easy to, to use and get started with. But what I've heard from different developers or like seen on Reddit is that when you want to build really custom stuff or kind of branch out, that gets pretty difficult with, with Swift UI. So do you need to open up the channel with them and explain to them how widgets work and let them start to copy Flutter a little bit more? <laughs> um, I don't know. I'm sure that they see some of the stuff we're working on and will maybe make changes or maybe that's also Apple's play. You know, they kind of like to keep things a bit more rigid, it seems, in their developer ecosystem. So they might be okay with that. <laughs> now, if I remember correctly, I think Flutter was the first person in this style to do this and then i think swift ui came out and then i think jetpack compose came out and they're all kind of copying the widget kind of composable widget style right yeah i couldn't tell you the exact years but that sounds right to me at least in terms of popularity um although i don't know you know Re react is kind of similar too and and i don't know exactly when react started and also React, well, React, from what I heard, is copied off of something called Elm, if you ever heard that one before. Oh, no, I haven't. Yeah, so have you ever heard of Haskell? Nope. <laughs> okay, so just imagine that every time you have like a case statement, you have to exhaust all of your possible cases. Mm. I don't know if you've ever done functional programming before, maybe not. Nope. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit hard to explain, but imagine that you'd have to handle every single case. Like you have a result, and that result is either like the actual result or an error and you have to handle both cases. So basically your code will never crash because you have to handle everything. Sounds useful, but <laughs> like arduous. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's infuriating. It takes some time, but when you get into it, you're like, actually, this is kind of fun because my app just always works. And uh, yeah, it's been fun. I, you should check it out. Alma, if you're, if you're interested, it's, yeah. it's a, it's a fun, fun thing. And they, I think they said that react kind of was inspired by the way they did everything. But yeah, so so for iOS, um, I thought that was also really cool. The 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 demo you did, where you brought in the the 3D model, right? So yeah. who created the 3D model? I'm, I'm I'm guessing it wasn't you. No, it wasn't me. Um, it was so some folks at Very Good Ventures had had that Dash 3D model, and then one of the engineers on our team. Brandon, who's amazing, he kind of took it, modified it a bit, and also created that entire scene, that like last game that I showed on the old iPhone. <laughs> yeah, that was really cool. And then you multiplied it by, I forgot how many, it was like a cube of these dashes walking. Yeah, seven by seven cube, lots of dashes. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really exciting. I, 
I don't know that much about 3D, to be honest, but now lately I've been spending a lot of time in Blender and trying to familiarize myself with 3D modeling. Um, and I'm really excited to to see how this changes the the types of users that come to Flutter. I know we already have a lot of people who are starting to develop games with Flutter, but there are probably other use cases like VR and AR and things like that. Um, what's cool about Flutter is, you know, we have our team at Google, but there's also this huge community that takes whatever is built and brings it 10 levels higher. So when I was talking to folks at Flutter Forward, I know there was some interest from people in creating their own VR plugins that kind of build off of this 3D work. So it'll all be really fun to see. Now that's all from Impeller, right? If I remember correctly. Yes, exactly. Now, how does Impeller add that in? Because I remember before you have Flame Engine, that one can only do 2D games. But now it looks like you can start to do 3D games, right? And this is actual 3D, not like isometric kind of faking it, right? Uh, I, that sounds right, but I haven't used Flame, so couldn't tell you. And um, the details of all the 3D rendering also above my head, <laughs> so I can't offer too much information. But I know that we're really just starting to experiment with it right now, and, and that was a, a very early demo, but we're really trying to figure out what the best way to expose those APIs to developers are so that they have control and can create these awesome 3D experiences, but it's also usable and kind of fits well within Flutter's widget tree. Um, so these are all things that, you know, lots of design docs floating around. And for people who are, are Flutter contributors or who are active on Discord or read the design docs, I'm sure we'll be getting a lot of feedback from the community in the coming months. Now, working on, on iOS, right, is it kind of like a catch-up game or something? Because, I mean, like you said, you go to WWDC, you see the new stuff coming out, and then you're like, well, how can we integrate this into Flutter? Or how can we support this? Is that kind of how it works? I I think it is a bit, you know, for, for better or for worse. Um, we do kind of try to play a catch-up game, and we try to stay on top of things as much as possible, or again, at least empower other people to stay on top of things. You know, one thing that happened last year at WWDC, there was a lot of talk about home screen widgets and live activities and, and kind of all those sorts of things. So those are all part of application extensions. And I know now we've been thinking kind of more generally, uh, how can we empower developers to um, create application extensions with their Flutter apps. And there are different degrees of how we can integrate with lots of things inside the Apple ecosystem. So, you know, one aspect is, can you actually render the UI that's in these application extensions using Flutter? And that would probably be a ton of work. And even with something like home screen widgets, it might not even be possible because they have really strict restrictions on like the types of APIs or Swift UI views that you can use. But we're thinking more broadly about how can we empower other people to either try to embed the Flutter engine in different places or reduce the amount of code that they would need to rewrite if they have to, you know, create a home screen widget in Swift UI, but they want to share data or state or different information with their Flutter app. So things like that we're always thinking about. And like I said, it's kind of multi-pronged. It's do we need to make changes to the API? How can we 
empower our open source community to make these changes? Or how can we empower developers to, to work around these changes while having the least amount of disruption to their own experience? Yeah, that would be really awesome to have because also, I mean, Android's had home screen widgets for a while, I believe. So if we can somehow abstract that, that would be really awesome because it seems like Android has something for a while and all of a sudden iOS is like, hmm, ah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. But like several years later, which is interesting, maybe they wait for the bugs to to kind of come out of it. I don't know. But yeah, yeah, it, it is really interesting. I gave a workshop at Flutter Forward on home screen widgets and like I said, it's it doesn't seem like it's possible to render your um, home screen widgets with Flutter on iOS right now because of the restrictions they have. I, I think they don't allow you to actually use Metal, which is how Flutter paints its UI. So I was talking to a lot of folks about like, how can we make this easier then? And in the workshop, we showed how to programmatically generate like a screenshot of a chart that you write in Flutter and then use that as an image like in your widget. So so things like that where if we can provide these tutorials or resources and help people um, so that we're staying more on top of, of Apple's developments and that Flutter developers don't feel like they're missing out on these features that they would have had if they had been using Apple's frameworks instead. Yeah, that's often the the replies I get back. It's like, well you know, why would I use Flutter when I have, you know, the native toolkit and that one's going to always be supported. And that's been a, that I think is a great argument, right? Because even when I think, uh, I don't know about the last iOS version, but of course you would know more than me, may, maybe. But I think the last two before that, there was quite some time between when the public release of the new iOS version came out and Flutter finally supported it. And there was still some lingering issues. Like I remember specifically sitting in my at my desk and I was like, this one says that iOS whatever was supported, but it's not. And I was very upset. Like it wasn't like I'm gonna abandon Flutter. It was just more like, when is this thing gonna get sorted out? And I was not happy, but at the same time, I'm not I'm not there fixing it. So I shouldn't have too much to complain about. I'm just on the complaining side. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the risks of using any tool that's outside of Apple's ecosystem is that you have to adapt to different changes that they're they're making. I mean, that's true of like any company, right? That's where you're working with any developer tooling that's outside of that company. But even, you know, Apple changes their own systems and things don't work with each other. Like UIKit, right? So the, some a lot of the new APIs, you have to create the UI and Swift UI, like home screen widgets. You can't write that with it with UI kit. So if you have a whole app built in UI kit, you're going to have to rewrite those views in Swift UI to create the home screen widget. So I think that's just part of the evolution of technology. And like you have to understand that sometimes things don't work or they take a little bit longer than you want to adapt. Yeah, this is, I guess, nothing you can do, but wait or help right yeah and that's the thing is that that's what's nice about being in an open source community is you know when wwdc comes and they announce a new version of ios and blah 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 you know we want people to also feel empowered to go in and, and help solve any issues or add in new features now i'm kind of curious right um this i guess this question doesn't relate to only to ios but with supporting so many different platforms, 
um, for features that can be implemented on all of the platforms, how does that work where you have one platform done sooner than others, right? I guess Impeller is one kind of um, thing, right? But I'm sure there's many other features where, say, maybe a widget can be rendered or maybe it can be used, but something else cannot. Because there's some of the features of Flutter are built in, some are, are through plugins, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm, and I, I think a lot of that has to do with just like prioritization. So I talked about Impeller, you know, like Impeller was a huge effort. We just rewrote a graphics rendering engine. So I think trying to tackle all the platforms at once wouldn't have been smart. You need, we need to make sure that this is a viable solution and that it's actually having the performance improvements that we think it would have before we invest in all these different platforms. So then it's a matter of prioritizing which ones we think are the most important. And a lot of that comes from the feedback we hear from developers, primarily on GitHub, you know, like the best way for our team to understand what's important to you is to file a GitHub issue or plus one an existing issue. So um, that's kind of how we made the decision for prioritizing iOS on Impeller. But for other tools, as well, you know, our, our team, we have certain engineers that focus on certain platforms, like my team are engineers that focus specifically on, on iOS or macOS for Flutter. So, um, you know, we try to, to stay up to date with what other teams are working on and synchronize our efforts. But also there are some cases where it's really important to have this implemented on iOS because of a specific customer who really needs it to launch. Or we're seeing that this is a really upvoted issue for iOS developers on GitHub. But yeah. Well, uh, here's like one really good example. Uh, we had this company called Buzz come on a couple of episodes ago. And there's this thing called lifecycle hooks. Right. And obviously that's done in Android iOS, but not done on the desktop platforms. And I think this is because it was implemented, you know, a long time ago before desktop was a thing. Uh, but I'm just thinking like, okay, if this is something that you want to have supported on more than one platform and one just gets done first, does that mean, okay, that one's done first. And then you have to just, it gets merged in and then the other guy has to catch up at some other time. Yeah, I guess it's hard. You know, we try to think about, hey, okay, is this feature usable without these other platforms? You know, a lot of times if we just build something on iOS, it's not going to be useful for Flutter developers because they're not usually deploying their app just to iOS. They're going to deploy it just to iOS and Android. Um, you know, that's a, a bit different when, when you're talking about other platform combinations, it's not as simple as, okay, I'm always deploying to iOS and Android. So we try to look at our data too and see, you know, like what types of apps are, or what are the different combinations of platforms that are most common for people to use to kind of synchronize those features. Um, but something like Impeller, it doesn't necessarily prevent someone from launching their app. You know, like they can still create uh, an app that uses Impeller on iOS and Ski on Android, and it will work well. So I think we try to just consider all those different aspects. Um, but this is really hard when it comes to plugins, especially that are built by the community, because again, it requires that native platform knowledge. So if I have a plugin that has 
that works for both Android and iOS, I need to go familiarize myself with the APIs and the languages on both platforms. And a lot of developers just maybe don't have the time or the desire to learn a new language. You know, I might have previous experience for iOS, so I'm fine developing the iOS side of the plugin, but I don't really want to learn Kotlin, so I don't want to work on the Android side of the plugin. So I think to, to try to help solve that problem, one, FFI Gen and JNI Gen will be huge for that because you're now only really working in Dart. But also, like, you know, we're trying to figure out how can we help the community do things like ask for help on their plugin development or, you know, like connect with other people, pair up so you can work on things together. Um, I don't know if, if you've heard of the uh, Flutter community. They're, they have one GitHub repo and they kind of like adapt or adopt a bunch of different plugins or packages and will take ownership. And that's a really interesting model because they have a, a bunch of different developers that are basically all working together to maintain this set of, of packages. So it makes it a lot easier to get coverage on multiple platforms aside from just a single person who now has to worry about six platforms. Well, what I was kind of curious about is uh, if you do, if you say, okay, this feature needs to be out for different platforms, uh, it's probably certain people working on certain, certain platform. Uh, now, is this like, okay, all the features for all the platforms that need to be there, they're on one branch. So that whole feature comes over at the same time, or could it be that there's like some parallel different branches going on and those get merged in? I'm kind of curious about that part. Um, I'm sure it's different for different features, but I imagine that most cases people are working on different branches, but our teams will talk with each other and, you know, we might say, hey, Android team, okay, we want to work on this feature this quarter. So this has a similar feature on the Android side. Let's try to time it so that we're all working towards releasing this in the next stable release. Now, is there any kind of animosity between the two teams, between Android and iOS? Is there any kind of fighting in between the two? No? No, definitely not. We we work together on a lot of things, but yeah, I would say for sure not. <laughs> I thought there'd at least be like, okay, you know, I'm going to get my feature done before your feature, some kind of thing. No, I don't think. I don't think Google really has that culture. Um, it's very... You know, people are excited about the work that they're they're doing, um, but also make sure that we have like good work life balance and everything. It's not really a competitive environment, at least in my experience. Oh, that's good to hear. Because I keep thinking about: Have you ever seen uh, Pirates of Silicon Valley? The kind of story of Apple and all them from a long time ago. No. Oh, there's, and it's very famous that like the the Lisa team and the Mac team were fighting each other, and he was kind of playing the two from each other to see. Right, he meaning Steve Jobs is playing the two teams against each other to see who would do a better job. That's funny. No, I don't feel like we have that, especially not on iOS and Android, because our success somewhat depends on the success of the other one. Like we said, most people are developing an app for both Android and iOS with Flutter. So if we release a feature and people love it on iOS, but it they hate it on Android, that's not good for us either, because then they just might stop using Flutter altogether. <laughs> Yeah, but sadly, there's no like. It'd be nice if we also had that material me feature uh, on iOS, but we just we just don't. They don't have that kind of support, right? So there's just some things you just cannot port over. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's hard for a lot of people to understand too. Is that some things are within our control and some things are not within our control? Um, that comes up a lot with Apple, I know. 
Well, it's also good to see that, you know, Android's caring more and more about design these days. Everybody remembers Google from a long time ago. Like, oh, Google. Yeah, those are those smart guys that don't know don't know a palette of colors or something like that. I forgot the term that they were using back then. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, Material 3 is really beautiful. It looks super modern and elegant. I agree. It's nice to to see Android evolving their design. Now, when you're working with in the design part now and you're working with these teams and stuff, like, uh, what's the feedback from the designers? I mean, like you said, I think they, st- they feel more empowered, right? I think they do, but a lot of designers are still, uh, you know, skeptical of starting to to work in code. So, you know, there there are things that are really relevant to designers in the framework, like constraints and the layout algorithm, but are really difficult for people to understand. Like, I swear, I've read some Medium blog posts like four times now that like explain how constraints are inherited, and I still like really don't get it like i'll i'll get it once i read it and then next week i forget and i'm like why is this aligned over here and not over there um so i am looking forward to seeing how we or other folks can kind of distill this information in a less technical more design way you know like tools like figma they have concepts of constraints as well and inheritance and if we can kind of try to match the way we explain it to the tools that these folks are already using, I think it'll be really a lot easier for them to jump into the code and, and start developing prototypes. Um, but a lot of the designers that I talk to are interested in starting. They just kind of don't even know where to begin. Yeah, that's that's a problem. I'm just thinking about my my issue is like, I know that in a design, there's compromises you can have. But I don't know which things those are. Like sometimes you have to talk to the designer to see what is okay and what's not okay. Yeah, exactly. Because sometimes like, well, the size of a button can be, can be uh, not arbitrary, but it can be flexible. But like this, this one particular thing, no, 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 it has to be there. The whole design is based on this one thing. And you're like, really? Uh, Okay. Like that's the one thing I wish somehow could be more clear to a developer who's implementing a design. Yeah, no, I, I agree that. And also just like the little tweaking where you're like, yeah, this looks exactly like the design. And the designer is like, no, like this little thing is like slightly off. And you're like, how did you even notice that? <laughs> so I feel like that's widget book does a really good job of helping with that. I have a story for you. I, I, I had to work with this guy. Mm, it sounds negative, but to be honest, it's kind of nice to have people who care too, so much about things. He could see a literally i'm not joking this is serious one pixel difference he can tell the difference with his eyes i i you have to cut these images in a certain way for this the way he set up his this website i was updating and i had a designer do it for me i said can you convert this image from i don't know gif or to to png or something somehow you have to convert it some way He's, he has a system the, the developer had a system and i had the designer do it because you have to use photoshop to do it and she did it, and I I don't remember. I, I think I put it up online or whatever, and he took a look at it, and he was like, no, something's not right. I mean, what do you mean it's not right? He's like, mm, it's not right. I said, what do you mean it's not right? And he, was, he, he, he showed me. He took the two images, overlapped them, and showed me there was one pixel difference. He zoomed in to show me. He could tell the difference. It was a little bit freaky. That is pretty crazy. 
<laughs> even the even the designer was like, this guy's nuts. Yeah. I mean, that that is definitely an eye for design or for something. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, it his website is his website, it's his baby, and 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 fine. One pixel, it's it's okay, you know. Yeah. Things could be worse. We could be really off. Yeah. At least we knew where the problem was. Yeah, totally. There's also the whole piece of like adaptive design, which I think is really interesting. And it's, I mean, especially relevant to Flutter because you're talking about being deployed on all these different platforms. And um, I think it, it's really cool to to see how designers approach both like differences in screen sizes, but also device formats and trying to play into like the usability of all the different platforms people that I've worked with, you know, they just think about things that I would have never considered. <laughs> yeah, th this is a really good uh, topic to bring up, right? Um, because I think most of that, most of these kind of feelings and stuff comes from material. But then of course, even when you're using material widget, there's still some adaptive platform specific stuff that happens, right? They talk about the bounce rate, or now I think material itself has this, um, it's not, an, would you call that a, it's like a stretch effect? for a list yeah. when you pull up but it's not it doesn't show up on ios i think i think it's only an android thing because that's expectation yeah like there are lots of like those little like animations or gesture things that are platform specific but then there's also just like the whole design of an app might change if you're talking about it versus like looking at it on an iphone versus a tablet or something like that you know you have to think more about, okay, what if someone is using this with a keyboard? What if someone's using this with a stylus? Like all those kinds of things that play into the layout of the page or where different buttons are and concepts like that, which I think are really interesting. Yeah, because I'm kind of curious about when would you want to start adding these kind of niceties in? Because I mean, Flutter has been doing just fine, but I'm sure there's plenty of things that people wish were there from other platforms. Right? How do you choose when that's important to you? Is it really still based on like what you said before, where it's like how many people were complaining about it, how many things, how many, how much importance is it really to the community? Yeah, like you're talking about kind of like those little like gestures and things like that that show up. Yeah, those little things, the little things that make you wonder: is this an actual native app or not? Yeah, that I mean, I'm spent. I've been spending a lot of time thinking about this recently. Um, it's really interesting because I'll talk to a lot of folks and it, people are very polarized on it, right? There are the people who are like, it's fine, ship it. No one notices. I don't care. And then there are the people who are like, well, on iOS, it moved like this and on Flutter, it moved like this, you know? <laughs> um, so it's really, really, really subtle differences. Um, that probably most consumers wouldn't notice, but maybe some like Apple fanatics or tech fanatics will just like feel like something is slightly off. So I think a lot of that has to do with the types of folks that you're targeting with your app, right? Is it, um, you know, things like design apps or something that are maybe on an iPad, probably it might matter for it to feel really high quality or platform specific and have all of those niceties like you call them. Um, but maybe if it's more just like a functional app, you know, like a, an app for enterprise, all employees are required to have it on their phone and they only use it for one minute out every 30 days to authorize something, you know, it, 
may not be that necessary. Um, we, I was, I was talking about this recently too, and someone brought up a good point that stuff might have to do with how much time you're spending in the app per day. Like for a social media app, you, you might be spending a couple hours per day. Uh, so you maybe need those niceties for it to feel natural. Um, on the flip side, some people also say, okay, well, if it's, if this is an app that people are spending multiple hours per day on, you can kind of define your own usability standards because it's more like brand specific. So I don't think there's one right answer. It really depends on the types of people you're targeting and what you think they care about. Yeah. I can just imagine some of these like, you know, quote unquote bug reports. And you're just like, really? It's like <laughs> one millisecond, like difference. Ugh. Is it really worth it to go back and fix this or to, to make it like how, how, how it should be? I'm sure you have some of these kind of things. You're like, uh, let's, that one goes to backlog. And also like, I am not that person or I used to not be that person who noticed any of that kind of stuff. But now I feel like I, I'm trying to pay attention more. So I feel like I'll spend a lot of time like on my phone, just like, you know, pulling something down and really like looking at what the gesture is on Apple and then pulling out an Android phone and doing the same thing and really studying it. But it is interesting too. a lot of those little tiny aspects make it feel more cohesive with the entire Apple platform. So when you really care about these high quality experiences, they can be pretty important. So we're, we're really trying to figure out how we can make it easier for people to incorporate them in our app and make sure, you know, when we offer those page transitions or whatever, they actually match with what you would get if you're working directly in Apple. Do you, do you feel like you treat a phone like a doctor treats a patient where you just kind of like treat them like an object and you just, you just kind of examine it like a thing? I don't know if that makes sense to you. I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about. I, I do feel like now it's funny because I have my personal phone and then I have a bunch of, you know, like test devices. And I feel like the way I approach them is so differently. You know, my phone is like, the screen is cracked. I like barely pay attention to it. I'm just like, it's very functional. But then like, you know, my iPhone 14 test device, I like will hold it up and I'm looking at every pixel on the screen and I and I keep it pristine and all that kind of stuff. So it is interesting. I feel like my relationship with devices has changed a lot since joining Flutter. Well, I know like people ask me questions or like a client will approach me and say, oh, we have this app and we want to to make updates to it or whatever. And that's when I start, I pulled, I pulled on the app and I start kind of, I do like what you're doing. I start pulling down and start playing with it and seeing how does it react? How fast does it refresh and, and, and start this like, Hmm, I was just using, you know, H cause some people still use, uh, what is that one with the HTML, uh, Ionic, some people still oh, use yeah. Ionic and these other like things. And you're like, Oh, this is Ionic or, Oh, this is <laughs> native. You start to kind of see, and you're like, okay, I know what this one is. And then yeah. you start to see, okay, where's, okay, here's a bug. Okay. Here's an issue. You start to kind of realize, okay, this is, this is crap, man. Why would somebody really say this? A lot of times I'd look at that like, this is, this is horrible. Yeah. And I'll also like pay attention to other people's phones now. You know, I'll like look at my partners. I'm like, oh, what's that app? Let me, you have this new app on your phone. Like, let me see. Oh, that's a nice design. Oh, I really like this animation that they did. <laughs> Stuff like that. 
Yeah, that one too. And that's where you start looking at Rive. Like you look at some apps that are using Rive and you're like, oh, I want to add that to my apps. Yes. Yes. It's so cool. Rive and also just like scrolling through Twitter and seeing all the stuff that people do with shaders. Oh, shaders. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. Some, I've seen some people do, you know, there's lots of really cool Flutter examples. And I've also seen some cool examples on the iOS side too. I'm like, one of these days I'm going to set time to like really play around and just like have some fun, but it hasn't come yet. <laughs> you know, the sad part about shaders and Rive and um, like the app, like uh, I forgot the name of the app. Oh, the desktop one, uh, Superlist. Is it Superlist? That sounds familiar. Yeah, th that one that was really, really nice looking that they showed off at the event before uh, the last Flutter Forward. Mm. It looked beautiful. It's like all these apps, they look so amazing. And you're like, I want to use those things. But to be honest, it doesn't match my app's brand. <laughs> That's <laughs> like the problem. So I want to do that stuff because it looks like fun, but it just doesn't match the brand. So I cannot, right? Like I got, you know, like these apps that maybe made for older people, the buttons had to be huge. And, and they're like, I can't put these really cool animations <laughs> there because they would just be lost. Or people are like, come on, I don't care about the animation. Like get me to the home page. <laughs> Yeah, that's another thing I have to have to think about too. Because younger people is like that; they don't want to look at the stuff and and be amazed. They yeah, wanna, you know, get going, right? And me too. But I want to do those kind of apps. That's the sad part, and I just don't have the opportunity. I know. I feel like the people who appreciate it the most are like other developers, and they're like, "That's so cool." <laughs> so many times that I thought I did something really cool, and I showed to somebody who's not a developer, and they're just like. So I'm like, you don't know how long it took me to make this happen, man. You don't understand. I will say my 11 year old sister has just started like learning how to program. So I've been trying to teach her flutter and everything. And every time there's like a cool animation or something, she's amazed. She loves that. I'll like send her little videos of shaders and she's like, whoa, that's so cool. <laughs> there's, I, I just discovered shaders thanks to a guest that came on here and Oh uh, yeah, that I they're really cool. I I would love to have some time with them. Yeah, you know, shaders with Impeller, with you know the ability to possibly do 3D. We're basically making another Unity almost at this point. <laughs> we're we're making a whole 3D game engine. It seems like I can't wait to see who creates you know some crazy stuff in the metaverse with Flutter now. <laughs> well, actually, the first step before you do anything is you have to be able to to create Doom. So if you can create Doom with Flutter, that would be interesting. That's always the question. Can okay, fine. It's got X amount of mega flops, but can it run Doom? Who cares? It's got to run Doom. Okay, community members who are listening, who's going to be the first one to do it? I you should be able to do Doom and Flame, I would think, because it is a two D game actually. Mm -hmm. So I'm I think it's possible. I don't know. I'm curious now. Now I'm going to do a Google search after this. Yeah, I wonder if someone's already done it. I feel like so many times I'm like, oh. All right. Yeah, we've had such a long conversation. Um. I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. It's also getting late over here. Um, is there anything like that's coming up on the horizon for iOS that we're allowed to to know about or anything you want to say before we sign off? Uh, well, one thing that's super excited is um, we just merged the PR for wireless debugging with iOS, which is uh, very exciting. So I'm pumped about that. Um, and, and yeah, I think in general, we're trying to focus on developer experience, performance, design, 
So if you have feedback for me or for our team, you can always find me on Twitter or LinkedIn, send me a message. But the best way to pass feedback back is always through GitHub issues and plus one-ing ones. So please do that. <laughs> yeah, do a plus one. Don't don't add a comment saying me too, right? It's just tap the plus one. Is that right? Yes. Only add a comment if you have like some unique thing to add to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, I was told that, or I think I heard or read that every single comment or whatever actually gets read by basically everybody on the Flutter team whenever there's like a GitHub thing that comes in. Oh, uh, maybe not every single one, but like I read every single issue for the platform iOS tag. And I know, I think basically everyone on my team does as well. So. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm happy to hear that wireless debugging is there. That one is only for master channel at the moment, I'm guessing, right? Because it just got merged in. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Can we expect that in the next stable release or the next like announced stable release, I guess, at least. Uh, I think that's the plan so long as everything goes well. Awesome. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. And uh, yeah, looking forward to new Flutter iOS stuff. So maybe we can replace the all the bad stuff that Apple's been doing to their own platform. <laughs> yeah, sounds good. Thanks for having me.